Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back, and we are just about two weeks away from the 2023 WWE Royal Rumble with WrestleMania season just about to kick off. That means the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and vintage Chris Vanini are here to break down the latest and greatest from the last week in WWE. We'll be talking SmackDown, we'll be talking Raw, and we will certainly be talking the Road to WrestleMania with a special segment later on today's show. Before we get into all of that, you know the Silver King needs to kick things off with a reminder that this podcast you are listening to right now, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please, folks, we're a couple weeks already into 2023, and yet I'm still asking you to remember. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. And if you do, we will read it live for you right here on the show. We actually have gotten two in the last week, one we read on last week's AEW NXT episode. So if you have left the review and you didn't hear it, you're wondering why, go listen to that show. Here's another one, a brand new one from The Good Doc GR, one of the best weekly wrestling podcasts. Getting Over is an incredible weekly review of wrestling from both WWE and AEW, exclamation point. Concise episodes. Chris, I don't think we've ever been called concise before, but I'll, I'll take it. Uh, concise episodes dedicated to each major brand which helps keep up with the product as life sometimes gets in the way of watching all the wrestling. Also, Adam and Chris have a natural banter that feels like me and my nearly washed friends discussing professional wrestling. Thank you all for the time and passion you dedicate to the show. Definitely worth a download and follow. And of course, we got a five star there. So thank you, the good Doc GR, uh, for that review. And Chris, welcome into the show as we... Uh, Get ready to talk WWE. You weren't on the show last week, so you have a lot in the chamber, uh, I would guess, right, to, to be able to discuss over the last four TV shows that we've watched. Yeah, good to be back. Thanks for those reviews, people. Uh, college football season is finally behind us, and we feel refreshed. We are yes. on the road to WrestleMania now. I'm not in L.A. I'm not in San yes. Antonio. I'm not in wherever. I'm back at my home at in my office ready to talk wrestling after a, a frantic couple of weeks to end, this, end, end the college football season. We are full steam ahead here on WrestleMania now. We are. Uh, now, the Silver King is home this week as well. Next week, I will not be. So our Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview episode will be done on the road. I'll be in sunny Orlando, Florida uh, for the PGA Merchandise Show. If that does not sound like a lot of fun, spoiler alert, it ain't a lot of fun, but it's a nice trip. I love going to Orlando. It's, you know, certain areas of Orlando stay away from the tourist areas, but there is some um, positivity uh, over there. And I may even check out a little NXT if I get the opportunity. So that would be pretty cool uh, to do. No guarantees on that. But we will have our uh, Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview show coming next week. And then, of course, Saturday night, as soon as the Royal Rumble goes off the air, we will have that Royal Rumble Instant Analysis episode. I say all of that to tell you this. 
you know, when we do these Royal Rumble Ultimate Previews, we get in deep, right? We talk about every storyline on the show, who might win certain matches, certainly who's going to win the two Royal Rumbles, one for the men, one for the women. But the other thing we like to do here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is book the damn territory. So because next week's show is going to be so long and involved, really, there's going to be a lot for us to talk about. We're going to book the damn territory this week right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So we will cover the biggest news in WWE with the main event. Of course, we will then move to the good, the bad, and the ugly, talking about everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw. And then we will wrap up by booking the damn territory with Chris and I releasing our top eight matches for WrestleMania 38. These are matches that we would book if we had the pen. If we were in Triple H's shoes, we will unveil those later in today's show. You do not want to miss that. And Chris, before we even get to the main event, I'm realizing right off the top, I gave one reminder, not two to kick off the show. The other one is to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis of news that drops throughout the week. And of course, highlights from WWE, AEW, and beyond. There is every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris is back. The Silver King's ready. Let's get right into today's show, beginning as we always do, by sliding into the main event. And as it happens to be most weeks, Chris, the main event this week is about Roman Reigns and the bloodline. Plenty happened across SmackDown and Raw. We are going to get into all of it right now. So Sami Zayn on SmackDown, he approached the bloodline locker room as Paul Heyman walked out, explaining he was the only one there. Heyman said Roman Reigns decided they were all confident enough in Sami to let him succeed on his own. Zayn said Reigns made the right call and he would take care of business against Kevin Owens in the main event. Heyman smiled but grimaced later when Zayn walked away. So you kind of thought, oh, maybe he's doing something behind his back. Later, Sammy interrupted a Kevin Owens interview. He blamed his actions for the match being necessary. Kale reminded that it was Reigns who made the tag team match and made this singles match, saying Roman was the one using Sammy. Sammy countered that there's plenty of proof, and there has been throughout the last few months, that Roman loves him like family. The Heyman part of this was excellent, but the Sammy KO confrontation was even better because it potentially set the stage for Zayn to like come to the realization that Reigns is indeed using him and does not actually have his back. Consider the proof that Owens laid out along with Zayn going into the match with no one from the bloodline being by his side. WWE has done a fantastic job using backstage segments to set the stage for main events, particularly on SmackDown. And this, for me, was just the latest example of that. This has been one of the best parts of the Triple H era is the backstage segments, setting them up, having them kind of preview something coming up later, setting up what's coming in the main event of the show. And there's always a step forward. You can't miss these. Like, they don't always put these on the YouTube channel. You need to pay attention to the show to catch these little things that are going Mm -hmm. on throughout that eventually get to the main event. That's just very good storytelling. It, it makes you want to pay attention. And both of these were great. I, I, I especially like what Kevin Owens is doing. And I just keep thinking how like old WWE would just be saying like Kevin Owens is trying to play mind games with Sami Zayn. And they would just say mind games over and over and over. And they're, they're not saying that. 
They're just laying mm-hmm. out the facts and presenting the confrontation confrontation uh, uh, that Sammy is having with himself and figuring out what is yeah, the real and conflict. what is not. Yeah, conflict. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Conflict. Yeah. And, and just he has to kind of deal with that. It's just just really, really good character development every week. And this is another example of that. The you, you made a really good point, not going like away from it back to commentary and hey, Wade, what does this mean? What is Sammy thinking here? Is the bloodline really on his side? Like not hammering that into your skull. It allows the acting and the work that these wrestlers and performers are doing to speak for itself. It's like you're watching a play more than you're being dictated a storyline. And that mm-hmm. is why this in particular happens to work so well. Beyond, of course, the great job that all these individuals are doing. Now, that was just the opening part of the show because we did have, of course, the scheduled main event, which was Owens versus Zane part, I don't know, 827, right? When you go back to PWG and throughout their entire careers. So Sammy hit a huge topic on Hero with KO coming back, later hitting a huge frog splash for a false finish. Zane leaped up over the pop-up powerbomb, countering him with a blue thunderbomb. Then they exchanged an exploder suplex and a lariat in a great spot. The crowd was going wild at this point. Owens hit his avalanche, like hooking suplex for a 2.9. Sammy hit two exploders, and he was about to add the haluva kick and possibly get the win clean over KO. When suddenly the Usos and Solo Sokoa, who don't forget we were told were not there, attacked Owens out of nowhere. They hit the 1D, and that led to the disqualification. They dapped up Zane. He was legitimately shocked and confused. First, because, again, he didn't think they were there. And then the way they interfered. Uh, Sokoa then hit a Samoan spike on Owens. Sammy sat there kind of upset on the ring apron. The Usos reassured him that they did it for him and that the tribal chief was happy and that Sammy did his job. Then they put Owens on the announce table. And Sokoa ran off the barricade for an enormous splash on Owens through the table. The audible groan from the crowd was like wild if you go back and listen to it. That's how like impactful that moment was. The Usos then got Zane to stand over Owens' body and hold up the one for the bloodline. But he was reluctant kind of at first to do it. So this match was freaking fantastic, first of all. I mean, we're talking... 4.25 stars A or something to that end, I really wanted a clean finish. But shit, if you're going to do a DQ finish, this is the type of DQ finish that you book. This creative was brilliant. And that is not a word I throw around on this show. I'll say something's great, incredible, excellent. You know, there's a million adjectives that you can use. This was brilliant. Having the bloodline cause the DQ, not to save Sammy, But to attack a prone KO is having them choose to destroy Owens over letting Zane achieve personal success. That proved exactly where their priorities lie. It also showed that they don't really believe in Sammy on his own. And it came one week, let's not forget, Chris, after Reigns held Zane backstage so the Usos could succeed without him in the ring. Basically, after we all thought that Reigns had finally, truly embraced Zayn, we're seeing Roman has determined he's a useful idiot and nothing more. Don't forget, Sammy's the one who lost the tag team match. So Roman's looking at this as, 
this guy's a loser. This guy is someone who who put a, a black mark on the bloodline. So I don't want him to infect the Usos in their match. And then when Sammy has his own match, I don't now trust him to actually get the job done on his own. And even if he does, I don't care about him getting the job done on his own because what's most important is beating the shit out of KO. Then you couple that with Heyman lying to Sammy at the onset of the show, KO directly telling him that Sammy's not only being used by Reigns, but the bloodline does not have his back. And then seeing that come to fruition an hour later on the same show, Chris, I don't know what else to say. This was perfection achieved. This storyline just continues to be, it's cinema. Like this is, this is cinema. This is movie television level storytelling. It's not just that Sami Zayn's a useful idiot. It's that you also don't want him to get too confident. You know, you had Roman yell at him a week or so ago uh, that he's not the tribal chief. You're not letting him get this win over Kevin Owens uh, on his own. You're you're sending people out. So he's got he has to continue to doubt himself a little bit in order to keep him in line. It's basically gaslighting him. And it's just like there's so much going on here. And like you said, attacking Kevin Owens when he's down and not when he's about to win the match is such a flip of the typical wrestling trope of, Mm -hmm. oh, we don't want Kevin Owens to win. We're going to interfere, blah, blah, blah. No. And then you saw that Sami Zayn continues to just do tremendous acting where he continues to say, no, what are you doing? I had this. I got, I can do this. I was going to do this for Roman and you took this thing away from me and then reluctantly being like, all right, I guess this is what we're doing. Put the ones up, you know, Solo Sokoa gets the big money shot. Just, just every week, man, just every week. There's just like a little bit more that just adds so much to the story. And it's just, it's so good. And we say this every week, but like, this is just incredible storytelling. It really is. Um, you know, it's it's tough to find like the words to, to really praise it. And I mean, it's to the point where like, I don't want this to be parody, right? Where we come on the show and we start with the main event and we talk about the bloodline and we talk about how great it is and, and how it's this next level. St- but it is, it is next level storytelling. It's stuff we don't get in wrestling. And even like the only other really long-term high quality storyline that we can compare to recently, I would say, is the elite storyline in AEW with Hangman Page eventually winning the title. Yeah. But there was zero consistency to that story. There would be almost months at a time where they would completely go away from it. And and some of that was due to like Paige got injured, I think, at one point. He had to step away, I think, because his wife gave birth at one point. So like there were reasons why there were delays and and this got spaced out. Um, You know, I think Kenny Omega got hurt at some point during that. Like there were numerous things that happened there. But even a storyline like that, it had nowhere near the consistency from a week-to-week entertainment value standpoint and storyline building standpoint, as this does. And look, we still don't know exactly how it's going to end. We're going to talk about it a little bit later, the way we think it might end. But Chris, this is becoming, you know, top, not, not number one necessarily, but in that conversation for, it's already top 10 all time, as far as I'm concerned. It's going to crack top five all time. And it's going to get into the top three conversation, I think. I mean, it's it's wild. It has to nail the finish. As yes. long as it nails yes. the finish, whenever Reigns drops the titles, I, I think it has the opportunity to be something we talk about for decades upon decades as just one of those greatest wrestling storylines of all time. Yeah, you can't have 
Sting versus Hollywood Hogan with Bret Hart involved type of finish to this. You know, you've told a very good story over a year and a half, two years. You still got to land it. And there are multiple landing points. It's not just Roman losing the titles. No. But the use, it's the Usos as well. Like there there are a lot of moving parts that will need to be resolved. You have to land, you have to land Roman Reigns. You have to land the Usos. And there has to be a landing for Sami Zayn somewhere involved in that. Yes. Yeah. And, And we'll, we'll, we'll probably, we'll be getting that over the next Three months because we've got the Royal Rumble. Yeah, we've got Elimination Chamber in Montreal and we've got WrestleMania. So now we're speeding into high gear here. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I agree. So that was SmackDown. Let's move to the raw portion of the Bloodline story. So the Usos and Solo opened Monday night. They promised every generation of the Bloodline would be at Raw 30 next week. That's the Raw is XXX uh, to acknowledge the Tribal Chief. And they also said that their Raw Tag Team title defense against Judgment Day would be on that show as well. Rhea Ripley came out claiming Judgment Day runs Raw, not Bloodline, which is true, by the way, uh, with Damian Priest saying they would take the titles back to Raw permanently. Dominic Mysterio said the Bloodline is scared of them. The Usos laughed. Jimmy did a pretty good uh, Mexican impression as Jay pointed out that their legendary run actually began by them beating the Mysterios for the title. Dom called them wannabe essays. He said Sokoa was the biggest wannabe of them all. There was also a line from Dom that he really knows what prison's like, unlike the Usos, which is quite (laughs) ironic uh, when you consider the circumstances of the Usos in WWE. Uh, Solo obviously got upset. He stepped to Dom, but Rhea got between them and stared down Solo two different times in the face. There was a really short brawl, and then Mustafa Ali flew in to attack Solo, because they had a scheduled match that was up next, and that was kind of a good way to end the segment. Now, the concept of this, I thought, was great. And there were supposed to be four different moments that got pops from the crowd. The bloodline announcement, Dom talking about the clink, and Rhea twice getting in Solo's face. But despite the crowd being engaged, they were on their feet, paying attention the entire time, they didn't make peep. They didn't say a single noise. Not cheers, not a, oh, nothing. I mean, they somewhat teased, hey, maybe the fucking Rock is going to be on Raw next week. No Rocky chant. No reaction to Rhea stepping up to freaking Solo, one of the most dominant men's performers in the company right now. That's a ballsy moment for her. That should have gotten a huge reaction. It's like, why are you going to a show if you're not going to play along? It was a good segment that failed to get heat due to no fault of its own. And it was perplexing too, because over the rest of the show, Chris, the Cincinnati crowd was actually pretty damn good. They cheered for matches. They popped when they were supposed to pop. But for some reason, they were silent here and I could not figure it out. Yeah, I, I well, I tell you what I think one of the reasons is, is because these are both heel groups. And so you're, okay. not, necess- you're not necessarily like, yeah, the Judgment Day is is getting in the face of the Usos. Well, no, but we don't like Dominic, but we do kind of like Rhea. But we, so it, it was it's kind of I think it was just kind of an awkward spot. And WWE okay, fans have just over time being been conditioned to know who to cheer for, who not to cheer for. If this was an AW crowd, I think it would have been different. Uh, but sure. that, that was my sense of it, uh, essentially. But I, I, I what, regardless of the crowd, really like the segment. I love the. I actually like the heel-heel dynamic. It it feels fresh for both of these teams to be doing something a little bit different. I love the Rhea Solo stuff. I kind of wish they didn't go back to it a second time, um, uh, but still really liked it and and 
the setup and everything. And it's it, it I, I like this grouping. It feels it feels new. It feels fresh. It does. And it's really interesting that they're establishing again. It feels like it's like this should be Survivor Series. Right. But it, it's good that they're establishing. Hey, the bloodline is dominant, but their dominance only extends so far because there is a big faction on Raw. Not only is there one big faction, there might be two. And either of them very well after WrestleMania might take over as the dominant faction in WWE. I find it interesting that Triple H seems to be setting things up that way. We'll talk about the other faction that doesn't quite exist yet, but might soon a little bit later in the show. Now, I glossed over this a second ago, Chris, but, you know, promising a huge family reunion and specifying there will be family members from every generation there. I mean, it's definitely possible The Rock shows up at Raw 30 at this point, but I think it's far more likely he does not show up. And I know that's not going out on the limb, but my point is, I think it's far more likely he does not show up. And that is part of the storyline. Everyone showing Mm. up except him as a representative of his generation. The only one not to come by and acknowledge the tribal chief. When you think about this, and I tweeted this out during Raw, you notice that the Royal Rumble graphics, they all have blue lightning in the background. You know, kind of like the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Maybe it's going to happen Monday or next Saturday at the Rumble, because otherwise, why would those be your graphics for the Royal Rumble this year? I mean, it's just lightning. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, you're not the only person to make this connection. Like, I get it. I, if The Rock was going to show up on Raw, they would be announcing The Rock is going to show up on Raw. Like, as much as I love a good surprise. Mm, uh, maybe. I, I don't think know. They would say the rock. I think they would say the rocks there next week. I don't um, know. I don't know if they need to. Here's why. It's already built up as a huge episode. So there's going to be more people than normal watching from the onset. Okay. There's also a ton of big matches on the show and there's no Monday night football competition for the first time since that's, August. That's all. So, yeah. so you're already going to have a huge show when you then do that surprise on the, it's the icing on the cake. Then you have all those people watching Jumping on Twitter, social media, holy shit, The Rock is back. You know that there's never, there has never ever been a Rock segment on TV since he left the company and then came back. That lasted two minutes. So you know he's about to be on screen for 15, 20 minutes. So you're going to get people storming USA Network to watch and see The Rock. I think if you announce it ahead of time, it's just like, why would you, why the hell would you announce it ahead of time? Again, I don't think he's showing up. I'm just saying the door's open, whereas previously. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, they announced John Cena for that last SmackDown. I know he was having a match, so you kind of had to. But I, it was a little different. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I'm I'm still very mixed on rock feelings uh, at this point, whether mm-hmm. he's involved, whether he's not. We'll probably get into that when we get to our WrestleMania uh, predictions at, at the end of the um, at the end of the show. But yeah, it is. It, they they have definitely set up next week as a huge, huge raw. I love the raw is XXX logo. Mm-hmm. The the old Raw's War. I'm still waiting for them to do a old school Raw, but use the Attitude Era set, you know, as opposed I know. to the early the early nineties that they've been doing for so long. I, and and by the way, they've been hard. doing it's probably a lot harder. Yeah. They've been doing old school Raws for like a decade, and every yeah. single I mean, sometimes they change the ropes and they make them the red, white, yeah. and blue, or they make little you know individual small changes. I want the old set. You know, they have the set, they've so bring it, it out. 
Yeah. I mean, and there's a, yeah, there's a few, I mean, you could just do a big Titan Tron and just a curtain like they used to. You don't, you don't have to have the whole thing. So they I did that for I'm the, the we'll, anniversary show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm guessing we'll, uh, probably not get that, but you know, the, 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 the anniversary shows are fun. Look, raw 1000 got me back into wrestling back in the day. Like that was the one mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, I haven't watched wrestling in a long time. I'm going to come check this out. And that's what got me back in. So they know this is an opportunity to get those lapsed fans again, which I'll, which is another reason I think you would announce the rock, but either way, it's, it's a, it's a big show and I'm, I'm and it's a go home for the rumble. So like that, that's the next week. That's what's crazy. It's like, man, if you were ever going to schedule a, sh- a major show to try to get people back involved in your product, right? You do. It's the go. It's an anniversary show. Number one, it's the go home to the Royal rumble and you're kicking off WrestleMania season. And it's the first week without NFL competition since August. Mm-hmm. And you're, and, 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 and I mean, the- what, what what a what a better what's the word I'm looking for? Where everything comes together and it's like the perfect moment, a perfect storm. Culmination. 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 Uh anything like that. It's 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 the perfect, you know, superstorm of timing to get it all together in that one moment. I mean, I don't listen, I don't think that the rating is gonna explode next week. Like I'm not thinking that they're gonna do a 2.5 or anything like that. But no. I really do believe it should be it should be over a two. Also, by the 2, way, 2.0 that, that the point about the NFL is important because the 30th anniversary was January 11th. The show right. debuted on a, January yeah. 11th. So they, they 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 held this a few weeks to get it past football to do your big 30 year anniversary, which, which you had sense. to. You had I mean, this yeah. was a playoff game with the Cowboys and Tom Brady. So you, ha- you could not have done it this Monday. Now, they didn't know that, you know, when they were scheduling it, obviously. But I mean, Philadelphia, crazy city, you know, uh, for wrestling. And it's the go home to Royal Rumble, and it's the week without NFL. The first week without NFL or college football competition. I mean, it was a no-brainer. So I'm very excited for Raw 30. I think it's going to be uh, pretty much a banger. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. Really quick before we get out of the main event, uh, just wrapping up this Bloodline storyline from Raw. Uh, Ali fought Sokoa, that match that you know succeeded, that segment we just talked about. Uh, an interview aired during the match that saw Ali explain he wanted the match because he was the only one who did not get hands on the bloodline two weeks ago. Chris, I said that on the show, right? I said he was the only one who like didn't actually get to fight them. So I loved the continuity with them bringing that back up. Ali dodged a hip attack. Solo caught him trying a springboard and literally just manhandled, threw him into the ring post off the apron. The Usos jumped out of the crowd to celebrate for some reason when KO charged down and took them out. Ali caught Sokoa with a tornado DDT and a hope spot, but Solo dodged a 450 and hit the Samoan spike for the win. Owens immediately... Uh, Caught Sokoa with the stunner right after the bell, threw him into the steps, but he got caught before trying the same splash into the announce table that Sokoa did on SmackDown, as we mentioned earlier. WWE officials ran out to hold KO back. He went absolutely wild trying to get at the bloodline, and the crowd finally came alive for the first time in the show during the after the first half hour had already surpassed. This is what I was talking about going back to before. Now, starting with the match, sure, Ali got a hope spot. He was wholly non-competitive in this. I know Solo is being booked as strong as anyone, but there was ultimately no purpose to this because it didn't help Ali one iota. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. The post-match attack by KO was nails, you know, as usual with him, helping really amp up the intensity before the go-home shows next week. We have the contract signing this Friday on SmackDown. Then we have the go-home Raw next week. And then I don't know what they're going to do the SmackDown actually before the Royal Rumble. 
but I guess we'll find out. I thought all of this, this small segment, I thought it was just okay. Yeah, look, Ali showed up and I just, sure, whatever. I, they, they still haven't really quite given us a reason to get behind him. You knew he wasn't going to win. Um, sure, Ke- Kevin Owens comes in. I, I like the finish to everything. It, it made sense. Solo looked strong. It was fine. Yeah. Now, before we get out of the main event into the good, the bad, and the ugly, where are we actually going to kick off by talking about Ali, believe it or not? Uh, I, you know, some of you may be listening to the show asking, hey, guys, what, no update on the WWE sale, the Saudi Arabia stuff that, you know, transpired on Twitter for 24 hours, or not even, sorry, 12 hours, um, Vince McMahon changing the bylaws of the company. No, I don't really have anything to discuss. Like, you know, we try to do the instant reaction podcast when there's really big, huge breaking news at a given moment. Uh, we did it with Stephanie McMahon, of course, resigning and, and Vince, of course, uh, stepping back into the company. And, you know, we'll, we'll certainly cover, uh, you know, rumors and news in terms of a possible sale, you know, things that happen with the WWE hierarchy, all that type of stuff. But as of right now, Chris, I don't really feel like since we last spoke, there's been anything to go over that's worth taking a significant part of the show's time. There has not, other than, I don't know if you touched on it last week, but I know there was a recent report that uh, Triple H talked to talent and said, I'm still in charge of creative, but Vince will have some input. You know, we we you know, we wondered when Vince came back, how long until he's involved in creative again? I don't know. Things kind of seem to be inching in their, that direction. But other than that, nothing really has has changed, I don't think. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we will move out of the main event and into the second of three segments on this particular edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Shorty! It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, we're going to kick things off with the main event of Raw, Bobby Lashley versus Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor versus Dolph Ziggler versus Baron Corbin versus The Miz in a United States Championship number one contendership elimination match. Holy shit, was that a mouthful. Uh, so Lashley backstage promised to win he p- and put Theory away for good, Austin Theory that is. Uh, Balor backstage joked that he's ready for a six-pack challenge, referring to his abs. Rollins later said he had his eyes set on the Royal Rumble, but he answered the call to be in the big match. It was a great promo and a necessary call-out from Rollins that he really did have no reason to be in this match after a week or two ago, saying, I'm done with this title. I'm focused on Roman Reigns. And then later, Ali dogged Ziggler about getting another opportunity handed to him. Dolph said he didn't have time to give him attention. He had to get ready for the match. So Ali blasted him in the back of the head with a forearm in the locker room, which really appeared to be some type of confidence building spot for Ali. And this is what I was saying earlier, Chris. If you're going to be doing something with Ali, and clearly they are, which is great, then why would you just basically have him get squashed against Sokoa? He was non-competitive in that match. The booking of that match made even less sense after seeing this backstage segment. Yep, agree. I just it's been very inconsistent exactly what we're supposed to feel. I Ali losing a bunch does not give him sympathy. Like so that's just still not there yet. 
Yeah, it's like they're trying to build sympathy and empathy for this guy, but nothing they're doing is actually having that effect. And that's really frustrating. Anyway, let's get to this actual match that I just referenced. As I said, it was the main event of Raw. It must have been on fire when it started because it began during commercial break. The entire crowd was standing when we came back. Lashley powerbombed Rollins, Balor, and Corbin out of the corner with a super duper plex. Uh, Ziggler caught Lashley with a Famouser with Miz adding a skull crushing finale for a false finish. Ziggler reversed the figure four with Rollins catching Miz upturned with a stomp. He got the first fall. Balor and Corbin ran Lashley into the post. Rollins sprayed Theory in the face with water. Ziggler splashed all four guys at ringside, which you just never see him do high risk moves like that. Ziggler hit Lashley with a zigzag plus Balor and Corbin with super kicks only to eat a pedigree from Rollins for the second fall. Lashley dominated Rollins and Balor until MVP and Omos strode out in a distraction. Balor hit a shotgun dropkick and coup de gras on Lashley, but he ate a stomp on the rebound for a third fall, all going to Rollins. Omos then threw Rollins over the announce table. Then he stared down Corbin, who rolled inside and immediately ate a spear for the fourth fall. Lashley screamed for Omos and MVP to stay out of his business when he leaned between the ropes to like talk shit to them. Theory runs away from the announce table with his US title, drills Lashley in the head. Omos then choked Theory over the announce table. So Rollins ran up from the other side and stomped Omos onto the announce table. Then he took out Theory, threw him over the barricade. Then Rollins super kicked MVP and ran in to get the stomp on Lashley, who was on the canvas, only to instead eat a spear from Lashley, who pinned him for the fifth and final fall to win the match, become number one contender for next week at Raw 30. This was just a straight baller elimination match. The Schmaz finish getting Omas involved it took the wind out of the sails of what was like 20 or 30 minutes of just banging work between all six of these guys. It really did kind of put a damper on the entire thing, at least for me. We'll talk about that storyline in a moment. For a grade, this was an easy good. Ziggler was the MVP. Rollins was running wild throughout. He got the first three falls, as I mentioned. That continues to build his profile, potentially for WrestleMania. Lashley is still over like Rover. I just thought it was really strong stuff, bell to bell. It probably would have been in like the low four range, but with the Oma stuff, it just, it again, it took the wind out of the sails for me. First thing I wrote down from this, from this match was Baron Corbin's punches are so good. Like, yeah. like they they refer to him as you know former Golden Gloves boxer, and you could just see when he's laying those punches in, they look legit. And some of the other folks just do not have good punching. I don't think Seth Rollins, Ronda Rousey, has good for example, yeah, Ronda Rousey. Look at look at the way Corbin strikes. It's so such a good work punch. So shout out to him for that. That's about it for him. Uh, match was awesome. Match was fun. My only thing was with with the Omas and MVP stuff. I know we keep thinking, hey, is the Hurt Business coming back? Is Omas going to be in the Hurt Business? You know, we'll get we you know we had Shelton and Cedric as a team later on. We'll get to. I didn't get an I, I unless I missed something. I felt like I didn't get enough bewilderment from commentary asking why MVP and Omas were here. Like they just kind of showed up. And like, oh, they're they're here, and then they're just like hanging around for like quite a quite a while. Well, can I can until... I tell you why you didn't get that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let me tell you why. Because Corey Graves is doing the job of two people, and Kevin Patrick is basically a waste of space at this point. So Corey's trying sure. to call the match and do commentary and talk about them coming out, and he can't. 
be, you know, really what you need is you need the Michael Cole to be calling the match and Corey Graves Cole. You're talking about the match. Why are MVP and Omos coming out? Yeah. Like, <laughs> instead, yeah. Corey Graves basically trying to do everything himself. That's what I needed. I, I needed the just the, the the confusion over what they were here for. And, and you know, we kept are are they going to help? You know, hey, they used to feud with Bobby Lashley. You know, they had a match at WrestleMania. What are they trying to cost Lashley? What's going on? And then then the finish of the match happened. So, like, um, I don't really know yet. I mean, like I was waiting for MVP and them to help. Bobby Lashley win or something. And, and, and so they, they kind of did, but well, they kind of did. didn't. I know, I, I know Bobby told them to go away, so it wasn't exactly that clean. But um, good match, like you said, kind of a schmoz finish. Perfectly fine with the results. I'm just like on edge waiting for whether or not we're getting the hurt business. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty clear. And there are other actions during the show. We will talk about MVP, Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander. We'll cover that later. It's tough to kind of put everything where it needs to go when you do a show this large and you have a three-hour program like Raw. Um, but I thought it was pretty clear they came out to help Lashley. I mean, they they were there um, interfering, not with Lashley. I mean, Lashley was surprised to see both of them. But right. all of the actions that they actually took were against other people. It yes. was not against Bobby. If they wanted to, to hurt Lashley, they would have gotten into the ring. Omos would have punched him in the face. You know, like, it'd be very easy to just go ahead and do that. Now, as far as where I see this going... I see two directions. One is Lashley just straight up winning the title next week, whether that's clean or with Omasa's help, given, again, I, I really do believe it's clear they're going to be all part of a new Hurt Business, uh, Hurt Business 2.0, if you will. The other option is Brock Lesnar returning on Raw 30 to take out Omas and distract Lashley so Theory can get the win and retain the title. That is how I would book it. Lesnar costs him the title. They cost each other during the Royal Rumble. I've already mentioned that. They eliminate each other. They fight at WrestleMania and they end their feud. As we have said for years, there's no reason to involve uh, a title in a Lesnar match. And this is the perfect way, the way I laid it out, to avoid doing that. I agree. And we'll get to our WrestleMania matches at the end of this show. But if you were going to set up Lesnar versus Bobby, which feels like something on the table, that would be a way to do it. Absolutely. All right. Next on the good, the bad, and the ugly, Judgment Day fought Alpha Academy. There was a whole backstage segment with the Academy really coming off as baby faces. So it does look like that has been a concerted baby face turn. Uh, Priest hit Broken Arrow. Chad Gable came back with a flying headbutt. Otis got the hot tag, but ate a bell clap only to catch Priest with a world's strongest slam for a near fall. He followed with a worm, but Priest caught Otis off the ropes with Avalanche South of Heaven, which was crazy. He was unable to get the fall, though, because Gable was legal. So Gable caught Priest with the rolling deadlift German suplex. Then he got Dom in the ankle lock submission with Ripley and Balor distracting the referee from seeing the tap out. As Priest hit Gable with South of Heaven, Dom jumped on him for the cover, got the 1-2-3, and won the match. I was surprisingly hyped going into this match, but it was even better than I expected. The Academy are seemingly pure baby faces now. They're going to mm-hmm. be over like Rover if they keep them on that track. Great wrestling from all four guys. Really well-booked match and the right winners. I consider something like this to be a nearly perfect TV tag team match. You want a match that's exciting, not too long, gets the crowd on its feet, clear heel, clear baby faces, and you just get a relatively clean finish. 3.75 stars, B+. Plus. I don't usually grade matches on TV. There's a number of matches that I wanted to grade but didn't because of their finishes, but this was really good. 
there were a lot of good matches on this episode of Raw. Like we already went over the the the, the elimination. This match mm-hmm. was very very good as well. Yeah, Otis and, and Gable as faces uh, works, and you don't really need to like change all that much with them. You just you stop doing the shooshes of the crowd, and you just shoosh the the heels. You know, right? You, exactly. You, you do a thank you. Like it, it's very easy to flip this without making big changes to them and putting them against someone like Dominic. You know, like. That's gonna get that's gonna get you face uh, uh, cheer. So great setup, really fun match. Just if you had if you didn't catch this match, this is one worth going back and watching of the many good matches on Raw. Uh, yeah, just really really good stuff, and it you know moves the Judgment Day into next week. It does, and Dominic also shout out to him. He was pretty good during this match as well, and everything with Dom is obviously working. So. Um, Shout out to him and everything that they are doing with him in WWE. Uh, we had an Intercontinental Championship match on SmackDown. Gunther defending against Braun Strowman. Braun won, wore a special Green Bay Packers shoes to honor a kid who unfortunately passed away. They're going to get auctioned off for charity. So that was pretty cool. Commentary also pointed out that he was nursing a shoulder injury before the bell. Uh, Gunther sent Imperium backstage. Strowman pounced Gunther over the announce table early, but later got worn down in the ring. When he got a second wind, Imperium attacked as the referee checked on Gunther. Still, Braun caught him with a power slam and a delayed cover for a false finish. Strowman then countered an armbar by rolling backwards and deadlifting Gunther for a backdrop to a huge pop. After exchange chops both ways, Braun caught Gunther with a big spine buster. Gunther avoided Strowman, sending his injured shoulder into the post. Then Gunther added a shotgun dropkick and a splash for a false finish. Strowman tried a superplex, but Gunther escaped, yanked on his injured arm, and hit the unfortunately botched uh, avalanche powerbomb to retain the title clean. And I'm telling you, if that powerbomb was executed as it should have been, the finish would have come off so much better than it did. Braun was way too high. His crotch was literally on Gunther's nose. And Braun's ass hit the canvas before his back. That gave the finish like a big womp womp. But what did we get? We got two big meaty men bumping meat for about 20 minutes. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping meat tonight. Big meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) I mean, that's what we wanted to see. That's what we got. Uh, The match was solid overall. We got to breathe the sigh of relief for Gunther retaining the title, not just retaining, but doing so in clean fashion over Strowman. And now he gets to move on. So it was a good match to open SmackDown and another profile building win for Gunther. I, I, this match ruled like that's what I put in my notes is that this match ruled. This is this should be up for big meaty moment of, of 2023 already. Um, the only thing was because it was the opening of SmackDown, you knew there probably wasn't going to be a title change. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of match you'd love to have on a pay-per-view, but the next pay-per-view is the Royal Rumble. So you're probably going to have a lot of these guys in the Rumble match anyway. So it's kind of some of those outside factors were, were notable. They just you, you couldn't shake them. But, you know, they built this match up for quite a while as a just a, as a big two big dudes going at it and they delivered in a heck of a match. And like, this is something I definitely wouldn't mind seeing him run back at some point as well. So definite good. I could see if Gunther's title reign really lasts for a long time, I could definitely see them running this back. That would make a lot of sense. Uh, later, Gunther was getting iced down in the training room. He announced that getting past Strowman 
allowed him to focus on entering the Royal Rumble and main eventing WrestleMania. The Rumble and Money in the Bank, those are two shows, I said this previously on the podcast, where I am 100% fine with there being no mid-card title matches on the show. It makes sense for mid-card champions, not all the time, not all of them, but it does make sense for them to be in the Rumble because they're two of the top non-world title holders in the entire company. So Gunther being in the Royal Rumble makes total sense. Uh, Becky Lynch made her entrance out of the crowd again on Raw, the man of the people and all. Uh, She called out Bailey. She said she's a Karen looking dope. Uh, Bailey came out in a 49ers jersey. They obviously won over the weekend, as did the Bengals. So she was kind of thumbing her nose at them a little bit. Uh, Damage control was by her side. Becky said Bailey peaked in 2015. So Bailey called back Lynch and the Horsewomen, leaving her in NXT while they all went to the main roster. She Lynch pointed out that she wasn't supposed to get over in main event WrestleMania, but she earned it and deserved it. Meanwhile, all Bailey does is blame others instead of looking inward for not reaching the same level as her. Becky then goaded Bailey into agreeing to a steel cage match on Raw 30 before just storming off at that point. This wasn't the greatest talking segment, which is actually disappointing because Lynch is the best female promo in the entire business. And Bailey is probably what, top five, six, seven? She's really good on the mic too. Something was just off from the start. The entire Karen insult was, for me, incredibly forced, especially when Bailey came out looking the least like a Karen that she has since August. Yes. She was wearing yes. black high heels. She had her hair up with red streaks in it. And man, she must have borrowed uh, EO Sky's black leather pants because. <laughs> The crowd did progressively get more into it as it went on, and they did boo Bailey and cheer Becky heavily, but it started so flat that it was going to be tough for it to really reach a high level, and they were trying to make this one of those promo segments where it's like, oh shit, they're referring to all this stuff from the past, great callbacks, and like they did, it just didn't hit the way it should have. I liked what they gave us to build what's undoubtedly going to be a huge match on an important show, Raw 30. So I'm still giving it a good, but with them two in the ring, it had the potential to be great and it just wasn't. Correct. Bailey hasn't been a Karen since 2020. That was her character, you know, in the Thunderdome era. Like that, mm-hmm. that was, you know, the haircut and all that stuff. That's not what, that's not what Bailey is now. So that She still has me. been to some degree with damage control, but just not to the level of like, Becky saying it 10 times in a promo. I, I, I thought this, I thought Bailey did a good job of expressing uh, a lack of self-confidence in that mm-hmm. everything Becky was saying about her was true. Was accurate. So like it, it accomplished that, but it didn't get me like hyped for the match. You know, it was, was Bailey, Bailey just talked, talked her down or Becky just talked her down, was correct and then walked off. So it, it wasn't like a, oh man, we're both at the top of our game going against each other. Bailey has lost a lot, you know, over the past mm-hmm. few months. She never got the the, uh, the the Raw Women's Championship again. She lost multiple opportunities for it and stuff like that. So it kind of goes back to just where like, I'm not quite sure what she and Damage Control are right now. And I haven't been for a while, but they do. They did kind of get into that in this episode of Raw, you know, when when, when talking about how she can do some things on her own. You've got the damage control match later, which we'll get to. So I think there is potentially something coming out of this for damage control that can work. 
Um, I'm excited for the match next week, but the, the, the face-to-face didn't really, you know, amp it up a ton. Right. I think that's fair to say. So you mentioned we got more from Damage Control. Let's move right into that. Mia Yim had a scheduled match against EO Sky. Candice LeRae joined Michin at ringside with Damage Control also there. EO hit a missile dropkick that sent Michin tumbling backwards before adding a Meteora. There was a really long stretch of fun action after that between both of them and went back and forth. Dakota Kai distracted, uh, ruining an eat defeat attempt. LeRae then took her out at ringside. So EO went after Candice. That allowed Mia. I almost combined Mia Yim and Michin into one really weird word. Uh, let's call her Michin in this case. That allowed Michin to catch her uh, with eat defeat for the surprising upset. Look, I'm just of the mind that Io Shirai, Io Sky should never lose. At, or at least when she does lose, it should be important. Clearly, they're setting up a title feud with this result. But if you're doing that, have Yim pin Kai instead of Io, who's a future women's singles champion on this roster. That's just me, though. I loved what we got from both of them. This was a great example of like a mid-card women's match raising the floor for the entire Raw women's division. Consider like what we got out of this match compared to what we would get from, and dude, like I'm really struggling to figure out, let's say Nikki Ash versus Dewdrop. And let's not forget, I'm not like shitting on either of them. Nikki Cross is a great wrestler and Piper Nevin is a great wrestler. But when they weren't in those roles, they weren't wrestling like themselves is really the best way I can put it. So when you think about the floor now of this division, when you have Mia Yim coming in, Candice LeRae, Io Sky, Dakota Kai, uh, Piper Nevin possibly coming back soon. Nikki Cross is still around. She just did a uh, little quick vignette on social media that I retweeted through our account at Getting Overcast. You should watch it. It was really good. The floor of this women's division has been raised significantly. And that's what I thought we saw in this match because this was really good wrestling. Now it's incumbent upon Triple H to develop characters and storylines for all of these women. This seems to be going, you know, we're probably gonna get a women's tag team title match out of this. And that's fine, but it's also a really lazy storyline to get it. One person beats another, therefore, there's going to be a title match. I mean, that's basically what this is going to be. So this was good because the action in the ring was great. But if you take the quality wrestling, and they did get a good amount of time to put good quality wrestling on TV and add character and storyline elements to it, all of a sudden, all of our problems with the women's division get solved. Yeah, I I, I keep wondering in the back of my mind if we're going down the road to a damage control breakup. Um, if they're not there to kind of back each other up right now, and that leads to some internal conflict, and that's what happens next. Maybe Bailey versus EO is something we do after that, because I just I don't really know where any of them go at the moment. You know, if Damage Control wins the tag team titles, defends them, then kind of what? I, I, I don't know. So I, based on what Bailey and Damage Control did on Raw, it's something I'm thinking about now as potentially happening down the road which would be something, you know, for, mm-hmm. for some people that hasn't quite clicked, got to change some things up here. Yeah, for me, I've always liked them. I haven't loved them, despite liking all three of the women individually. If they break up, it's going to be one of those breakups where it's like, okay, like, you know, we got what we got out right. of it and they're all really good and they're all going to succeed on their own. So Agreed. we'll see Agreed. We'll see if that happens. Uh, Sonya Deville on SmackDown complained backstage to Adam Pierce, who pointed out, She had a fair shot at the title, but didn't deserve another one against Charlotte Flair. 
Deville sarcastically suggested Pierce wants her to enter the Rumble to earn the title shot. And he was like, well, yeah, that's that's how it works. <laughs> so Sonya claimed she would instead find another way to get an opportunity without doing so. After commercial, Sonya attacked Charlotte backstage. They got separated. Deville drilled her with some piece of equipment only to get her ass tossed over a road case. Sonya then jumped off the road case to drill Charlotte from behind with a forearm. They finally got separated in a really chaotic scene. There were probably like four different separations of them and it all went down backstage. I enjoyed that they played into the old Pierce DeVille dynamic here. Sonya didn't have a single leg to stand on with her request, but as a heel, it's not like heels are reasonable, you know? At first, I had no desire to see a rematch and I still don't really, but the backstage attack was super intense and it at least created a sensible reason why Flair would agree to fight her a second time, even though Sonya didn't deserve it. So I'm going to say good, not because of the rematch. That's, you know, irrelevant. I don't care about it. So, uh, Charlotte's going to win. Who gives a shit? But I'm pretty interested in the fact that they put together a really good backstage segment and that's what we're grading. So it's a good. Yes, it was interesting. It was entertaining. It was intense, like you said. And that that's that's what you had to do in this situation. It wasn't going to make the most sense. You had to make it, you know, edgy and stuff like that. And, and they did. So it was fine. It was a good, not the most exciting thing, but it was it was a good effort. And what, they accomplished what they wanted to. They accomplished what they set out to accomplish. That's a great way to put it. Uh, part three of the Cody Rhodes return vignette featured his post Helena Cell pectoral recovery and re- rehabilitation. Cody said he was given a nine month window, but he was doing high intensity workouts at the Nightmare Factory after just four months. It ended with Cody officially announcing he would return at the Royal Rumble. I have said this for weeks. None of this has worked for me. I feel like the whole thing has been botched. The vignettes have been mediocre. The decision to give up a surprise return to do those packages when everyone already knew Rhodes was coming back on the show is stunning to me. I'm excited to get Cody back. We'll talk more about him next week when we actually preview the Royal Rumble match. But I I don't know why they would do this. If anything, you have him make a physical return next week at Raw 30, because that's what Triple H did in 2002 before he went on to win the Royal Rumble, main event WrestleMania, and I believe beat Chris Jericho for the Undisputed Championship. But if memory serves, when Triple H appeared on Raw that time, we at least got that as a surprise. I don't believe there was a month of vignettes preceding it. And that's why this concept for me is so bad because they didn't need Cody to promote the Rumble. The tickets are sold. The people who will watch were going to watch anyway. And most of them expected Cody to be in the match. It's like promising someone a chocolate chip cookie. I'll give it to you in four hours. But instead saying, hey, you know what? Forget that. Here's an oatmeal raisin instead. It's like, yeah, you're still getting a cookie, but it's not as good. And I'd rather wait for the better one. You know, I we I, I thought about whether or not this should be a main event segment because we could talk about this forever. Um, That's why I was saying it for this week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty simple. Um, and look, when, when Triple H came back in 2002, they did say ahead of time, like, hey, Triple H is coming back. I don't know if it was. Okay. Weeks in advance or not, but I know on that episode of Raw, they said coming up next, Triple H is back and he did his thing. Really? And it was. It wasn't a surprise return. 
Okay. It wasn't a boom out of nowhere. No, I've, I've gone back and watched it. Cause I thought I didn't, I had just gotten out of wrestling like months before that. So I didn't see it live, but I've gone back to look and there's, there's Lawler or JR is like coming up next. Triple H makes his return. Maybe, like, they, maybe I was conflating that with the triple H undertaker legendary back to back return. Segment. Yes. That, that was, was a, a surprise. surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, but, but, but either way, you're right. we, I, I'm fine with honestly. I'm fine with the Cody vignettes, honestly, but I didn't like ending it with saying he's going to be in the Rumble, right? Because, you, like, you can do that. Just say Cody Rhodes coming soon, and then it's at the like you know when, when he fought out Rollins, it was you know an open secret. We knew it was going to be Cody, but it was it still felt like a surprise when it happened because it was a Chris. It was the moment of the year. Maybe everyone yes, knew it was coming, exactly. and it was the getting over award for moment of the year. Despite that. Yes. Yes. So like, and again, not only that, but like you're making this announcement, Cody Rhodes is going to be back in the Rumble. You're making it via video package during a huge playoff game. Like if you're going to like, I don't like Cody. I don't like announcing Cody's going to be in the Rumble, but if you're going to do it, put Cody in front of the crowd and and, and say, I'm coming back. I'm going to be in the Rumble. Wow. Big moment. Like here, here's a simple fix. Here's a simple fix. They did it. You do the same vignettes. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. You do the same vignettes, okay? And at the end, instead of saying I'm in the Royal Rumble, you say, and I can't wait to be back in front of the crowd. And then coming out of it, you have Corey Graves announce, next week on Raw, Cody Rhodes announces his status going forward. Or Cody Rhodes has a major announcement. Or you have Cody at the end of the vignette say, and I'm going to be on Raw next week and I have a major announcement. And then you're hyping up Raw 30, you're popping a rating, and Cody announces for the Royal Rumble to a huge response in front of the entire crowd. So you get your vignettes, you get a return moment, and you do it all before the Royal Rumble, which clearly WWE wanted to do for some reason either way. They just, they chose the least interesting way to do it and Mm -hmm. and the least valuable way to do it, like to to not even get something out of it uh, via crowd reaction, via tease it for the next week, just... Very lazy and surprising, disappointing. And look, when Cody comes back, the music's going to hit. Huge roar. He's going to walk out slowly. He's going to stop. Standing ovation. It's going to feel like a big moment. It's going to be great. But I just wish they didn't have to do this because you're not. There's there was nothing gained from this. I do not believe there's a single person who's like, oh, now I'll get the rumble or now I'm going to buy a ticket because I know Cody Rhodes is going to be there as if we didn't already know anyway. So. That was extremely disappointing. The, like these are the best parts of wrestling, and you just yep. gave it away video package during a football game. Just yep. disappointing. And, and again, I can understand. Hey, maybe there's going to be a couple surprises in this rumble, and they don't want Cody's to be overshadowed. That's fine. Question. But but that's fine though. So do what we just talked about. Have him return on Raw and make that announcement. At least you're popping a rating. Like just like you just said, and like I said a bit ago. You're not selling tickets by doing this, it, by doing it this way. You're not increasing viewership for Royal Rumble. Everyone was watching it anyway. And you're not even getting our TV rating out of it because it's a taped package. And you could have at least said, hey, he'll be on Raw next week to make a major announcement. Tune in to Raw 30, another reason for people to watch that show. So they didn't sell tickets. They didn't increase viewership for the Rumble. And they didn't increase viewership for Raw 30 next week. That's three fails. I didn't even quite realize it happened. Like I, I had picture in picture. I had football and wrestling on at the same time. I was like, oh, wait, was that it? 
wait, that's it? Like, <laughs> how is that your announcement that, like you're, that? that you're back? Yeah. And that you're going to be, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and again, I'm fine with the video packages. I know you don't really care for them, but I, I think they've been fine. And if you want to start to rebuild this guy to be your champion at the end of WrestleMania, if that's what you're going to do, this is a perfectly fine way to do it. Like, like you start to tell the story now. I just didn't like the end of it. That was the only thing. Maybe the video packages are hyping up the casual fans and it's just something that we don't recognize is happening. And if that's the case, then kudos to them for doing it, right? But there's yeah. still, you could still do all of it. You could have the video packages, just like we talked about. I don't want to keep repeating myself. You have them return on Raw if you need and make the announcement. You get a huge pop and there's crowd reaction and there's um, what not motivation. Uh, um, what's, the word, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, mo uh, uh, momentum. There's momentum behind mm -hmm. him going into mm -hmm. the Royal Rumble. There's no momentum right now. It's just, yeah. oh, he's back. I I'll say oh, this. okay, people will it, cheer it, him. It, it, is so the theory that hey there are going to be other bigger surprises and you didn't want either Maybe. Cody to overshadow it or you didn't want to ruin Cody's moment or whatever. Is there anybody you think? Maybe maybe we can if you want to get into this next week we can do that. But is there anybody you think is big enough that would lead them to want to make the decision they did? With yes, you? The Rock. That's the only person. Do I mean, you maybe think, Brock Lesnar returns also, but like Lesnar's there all the time. So that's not a big deal. Yeah, I'm also wondering Stone Cold Steve Austin or... In the Rumble, Austin? Or, or Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, San no, Antonio. No, 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 no. Not in the Rumble match. No way. Yeah. None of them. But th that's the so. thing. It's like, you're allowed to have more than one big surprise in the Rumble too. It doesn't have yes. to be a one-shot yep. deal. It's it just, it's mind-numbing that they did it this way. Again, even Shane if McMahon. you didn't make it a pure surprise for the Rumble. You could have gotten something out of it for Raw 30. That's a botch. It was a big mistake. I went bad. What did you say, by the way? Um, I'll say bad. Not in the quality of it, but but what was the decision it? making? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on. We got more to talk about. Before Bray Wyatt made his entrance on SmackDown, a QR code flashed that led to WWE.com. It was an old Firefly Funhouse clip with Bray saying, see you in hell and let me in before his face morphed to the fiend. Bray sat on his old rocking chair in a dark arena with a spotlight on him. He said, sometimes all it takes is a spark to remind one to revel in what you are, quoting the line that's been repeated over and over again. He said he remembered that he's the color red in a world of black and white. He said, quote, I am the eater of worlds. I am Uncle Howdy. I am him. He said some more shit. Then he said, I am everything. I am Bray Wyatt. He said the Royal Rumble would be his true rebirth, a baptism in the dark. Then he told LA Knight when the lights go out, he should run. And then we got the original cult leader Bray Wyatt transition to end the segment. Not the new one that we've been getting, but the old one. Now, other than throwing out there, I am Uncle Howdy without any explanation, <laughs> I thought this was super intriguing. It sort of feels like this may be the onset of like a three faces of Foley gimmick. And maybe that's what they've been going for all along. You have the cult leader, as was shown in this segment, the fiend, as was shown with the QR code, clearly that's still part of him. And then the real Bray Wyatt that we've been seeing poke through only to get taken out time and again by Uncle Howdy, like what happened last week. Uh, the entire gimmick, I think, has really picked up steam the last couple of weeks. And it feels like there is now a specific direction 
after basically two months that were largely boring. My only qualm is that I'd have liked some specific follow-up given I am Uncle Howdy, he said, and then Howdy attacked him last week. So why did not he mention the Howdy attack? Why did not he? Why did he not mention the Howdy attack last week? So beyond that, this was really good, but I'm asking questions still, and maybe they want me asking these exact questions, and if so, they're succeeding. I completely disagree. Look, I I like the rocking chair. I like the throwback to the original Bray Wyatt, but I didn't give a rat's ass about any of this. He's just spewing nothing again every week. Like it's there's no, there was nothing new. I am Uncle Howdy. I don't like maybe that was maybe that was a metaphor. <laughs> I don't know. But like, man, I was so completely bored by this. And I'm okay. looking forward to the rumble when we get him in the match and stuff will happen. And look, Uncle Howdy attacking him is a thing. But it's like every other week you just get nothing from Bray. And, and the idea of doing a three faces of Foley, like th- th- that's almost I like the idea, but this is basically insulting to the, the to the depth and the promo ability of three faces of Foley compared to what this is. It's just it's just rambling. I don't care. Maybe next week they'll do something and I'll care. But this was not one that I cared about. Fair enough. I, I mean, I, I don't see how it's insulting to that. But, uh, you know, for me, they're building it. This is clearly, you know, you know, WWE fans, and I'm not saying you, but other people are really fickle when it comes to like, we want WWE to give us in-depth, long-term storytelling. And then Bray Wyatt comes on and does that. And everyone's like, not like that. (laughs) We don't want it like that. He came back in October. I Well, that's where I agree with you. For two months, it was like, okay, like enough with like the little Easter eggs and like moving this along at a glacier pace. I don't feel like it's moving along at a glacier pace anymore. I think the last three weeks, especially the last two, We've gotten clear, obvious development. And for me, that's what I like. So I am way more interested in Alexa Bliss and Uncle Howdy than I am Bray Wyatt and Uncle Howdy right now. Well, why don't we go ahead and move over to that? Because Bianca Belair opened our three on Raw with a babyface promo about being back. Alexa Bliss said Belair fears her because Bliss is an unknown quantity now. It seemed like Bliss was about to challenge for the title, but Belair cut her off and then offered a match for the title at Royal Rumble. Bliss asked, what's the catch? But accepted. Uh, Belair didn't want to wait, and so she attacked Alexa, and they started a brawl. Bliss dodged Bianca, who flew over the barricade, then pulled Bliss back over it as a little girl stood in the corner holding a Lily doll in full focus of the camera. There was another strategically placed Lily doll deeper in the crowd when they fought into the crowd. A listener also pointed out last week there was a Lily placed by the announce table, which I didn't actually Mm -hmm. see. Uh, Belair went for the KOD on Bliss, and she planned to do it into a couple of upturned chairs when suddenly Uncle Howdy appeared in a bomb to distract her, the blue light, the smoke, the whole deal. Alexa caught Bliss distracted with a DDT on the floor. Then she looked at Howdy, who was like orchestrating her with his hand as Raw went to commercial break. So Chris, they took something here that was like, marginally interesting when it comes to the feud and legitimately have gotten me invested in it over the last three weeks. That's a significant win. Not only that, I now think there's actually an opportunity for bliss to maybe get strapped up and win the title with Belair dropping it before WrestleMania. I wouldn't do it because bliss is not a strong champion these days. 
and WrestleMania plans with her going in as champion would be really odd. We'll touch on that more next week when we do our ultimate preview. But this segment for me hit in every single capacity. I thought the execution was excellent from start to finish. And it's a good. Also, the track record of getting the spooky people involved with the championship has, is mm-hmm. not good, uh, that track record. So that is a concern as well. But look, Uncle Howdy's doing things here. Like, this is interesting. Like, he's manipulating. I don't know. Like, Alexa Bliss is doing a good job. Alexa Bliss isn't just coming out and giving the same promo every other week. She's 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 in someone's face with the with the championship. She's, she's all involved. You got Lily stuff going on. Like, there's stuff happening on this side of the Uncle Howdy storyline. And that has me interested. I thought this was great. I thought this was super interesting. And it makes, this is the, this is the thing where I think the, oh, I'm looking forward to next week. What is the Alexa Bliss segment going to be next week? I'm interested in that. I'm not, I'm not at that place with Bray Wyatt. So I I thought, but I I thought this was, like you said, a, a great segment as well. I'll agree with that last point. For Wyatt and LA Knight, it's like, okay, just do the match now. Bel Air and Bliss, I'm still really curious in how it's going to develop and the storyline is going to continue. So I'm with you there. Uh, Rey Mysterio hit the ring on SmackDown relating how Dominic ruined the holiday season at his house. And with him now acting like a hardened thug, it's breaking his heart and pissing him off. Mysterio said he won't let it affect his fresh start on SmackDown, though. And he's going to get back on track by winning the Royal Rumble and main eventing WrestleMania. Karrion Cross interrupted in a trench coat, white dress shirt, and red tie. He called Ray an absent father and wondered if he hated Dom for what he's become or hated himself for raising him into that. Ray attacked and tried a 619 when Scarlet tripped him. That opened the door for Cross to choke out Ray with the Cross jacket as the arena lights turned red to end the segment. Now, surely Cross is going to be in the Rumble as well, so we'll probably see this lead to their eliminations in the match, and the feud will continue for another month. Maybe we get something at Elimination Chamber, then Ray can move on to Dominic and build for WrestleMania. I've been enjoying this overall, and I thought this was good. This Hitman version of Cross is far superior to anything we've gotten from him in NXT or certainly his first WWE run and even the second one right now. This is the guy that Triple H signed away from Impact. And it's kind of shocking that it took a main roster move, a firing, a return, and that return kind of fizzling a little bit to find this again, this best version of the Karrion Cross character. This was good. The version of Cross is good. I like the feud with Ray. The entire thing's hitting for me. Yeah, I like what everybody's doing here. And this, uh, this I look unless I missed it the previous week. This was a new mask for Ray, right? Just a, a simpler, just black, the soft, with some yellow one. on there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. It wasn't all. There wasn't a million bright colors doing a lot of different things on it. Just a very simple. It felt like it said to me like. Ray Mysterio's getting back to the basics. Like that's just what the mask told me. And I really like that. And I and, and I liked what Cross did as well. It all made sense. I, I like the character that he's doing. So I liked what everybody did in this. This was uh, certainly a good. This guy doesn't like the Bray Wyatt storyline, but a mask is speaking to him. So let's just remember where Chris's head is at. It is. <laughs> Let me get through this. I was messing. Uh, Emma and Maxine Dupree uh, told Liv Morgan that entering at number one for the Royal Rumble was idiotic. It is. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez <laughs> stepped in, basically agreeing because of Liv's size. Morgan suckered her in for a slap across the face and challenged her to a match with Rodriguez accepting. This is like the second straight week where people are like giving someone shit backstage and the final person to come in talking the shit is the one who winds up getting a match. 
It was cool though, I thought, to see Liv just straight up show no fear, even if it was an unusual babyface versus babyface type of deal. So we got Liv against Raquel. Morgan hit a flying code breaker off the ropes, then quote, eliminated uh, Rodriguez with a clothesline over the ropes, throwing her into the ring post and steel steps outside. Liv then set up a table outside, but Raquel rolled off of it, swatted her flying off the top rope inside and hit the Tahana bomb for the win. I thought the concept here was solid. Really nice piece of booking. Liv's eyes basically being too big for her stomach, going just a bit too far when she otherwise might have scored an upset over Raquel. But the match was so short and there was just no momentum for either of them when the crowd really should have been amped up for that sequence that I mentioned. It needed another five minutes and that was frustrating. It gets a good more for the booking and the concept, but the match length, it was just so frustrating that it was short. Yeah, I, I like the concept. The, the execution was was here or there. And unless I missed something the previous week, is Raquel like a heel now? No, she's a baby face. She was just kind of like making fun and talking shit, just kind of like New Day was uh, right. the prior week but like, about uh, with, with Top Dollar and all that, calling the, him Flop Dollar, the whole deal. Just like, the, but like the big person coming in and talking down and dismissing the little person just feels like natural heel move. And also like, being so dismissive of Liv, Liv is a former world champion, like right. recently, like that, that was kind of surprising, but I did like the idea of Liv being fearless, standing up for it, giving a great effort, fall, coming up short, but, but being, you know, s- strong in defeat, so to speak. So like, I, I think that all worked. I was just like taken aback by the interaction. I was like, whoa, why is Raquel being a dick <laughs> to live so much? <laughs> and no, then, you're right. And then, and then, so then it happens and like, I got it. So like, I got what they were going for. I just was kind of surprised by that. Not necessarily in a bad way. So I, I think I ultimately give it all uh, a good. I was just, um, it was new and that's, that's maybe a good thing. Yeah, no, no, you're right. My, my secondary note before we moved on was going to be Raquel needs to be a heel now. Like the smiling baby face deal for her is not working. There's a dearth of heels on the roster. She's better as a heel, just like we saw in NXT. And mm-hmm. there's a baby face champion on the brand right now in Charlotte Flair. It really makes more sense than ever just to turn her. In fact, you could do it during the Rumble. Like during the Rumble mm-hmm. match, you have yeah. her do something with Liv and another baby face where you're like, wait, that's not cool. She turns heel, comes out on SmackDown the next week, and now you have her in that spot. So I would turn her heel. I think they should do it. Maybe they will. Maybe this was the start of it, to your point. Yeah. Uh, there was a uh, Viking Raiders vignette with them explaining they obey Valhalla, who called out Drew McIntyre and Sheamus as their next victims. It was very weird. Backstage, Drew McIntyre demanded to fight the Raiders. Sheamus wanted the Usos. They argued while slapping each other in the chest. Pierce decided on a tournament starting next week to determine the number one contenders for the SmackDown tag team titles with the Banger Bros, which is now their name, fighting the Raiders in round one. Look, McIntyre and Sheamus together, it's cool. But what the hell happened to the Brawling Brutes? I know they're still together, But shouldn't Sheamus be teaming with one of them? I know he did that already with Butch when Drew couldn't go. But why are they teaming when his group already has a tag team as part of it? Or any two of them could be in a tag team. Plus, we already had that entire storyline with the Bloodline and the Brutes. This makes it feel like a planned Usos feud fell through and this is a replacement. Like these guys should be gearing up for the Royal Rumble, not going after the tag team titles. And next week is round one of this tournament, whatever it's going to be. 
I don't get it. The backstage segment was good, but I don't get the booking unless the Raiders pull off the upset. So I'm actually going with bad here, not for the work of Drew and Sheamus in the promos and in the back and forth backstage, but this doesn't make any sense to me. I'm I'm going to say good because I, I liked it. I agree it doesn't quite make sense. I wish the Brutes were just kind of around. I wish that Drew was kind of just an honorary brute uh, just because he's friends with Seamus. They just right. like, oh, you know, Drew and I, we go back. He can hang out with us for a bit. Him and I, we're going to go for the tag titles. I like, I, 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 they're fun together. Calling themselves the banger bros and being in on the joke is like, it's fun. The slapping bit was fun. So that's, um that's fine. I, I'm fine with it. I agree. Like Drew, Seamus, like we, Kind of got to figure out what you're doing for Mania, but we got a few months to go. I feel we like we, we get, we, other than what, 2020, it's been a few years now where we get to like December, January, and we're like, what the heck is Drew McIntyre doing right now? And and it, I, we felt like this last year, where is he going to fit on the card? You know, he ends up doing the Corbin thing. So I don't know if they have thoughts or, or not, but I'm fine with it for now. I liked it. As for the, the, the Raiders, you know, it was, Spooky, creepy, sure, whatever. It, it was fine. It reminded me that uh, Yellow Jacket season two is coming out soon on Showtime. So uh, Valhalla very much seems like a playoff of that show and a character in that show. So uh, looking forward to that coming back. Yeah, I still haven't seen that show. I do need to watch it. I heard it's great. Uh, Yellow Jackets. And, yes. Uh, certainly planning to check it out. By the way, did you get to see uh, episode one of um, The Last of Us on HBO? Yes, I did. What'd you think? I thought it was great. I've not played the game. I have tried to avoid spoilers of the game. So I'm just going into the show as if it's a TV show. And I thought it was awesome. That that, that That's, first half yeah. of the episode, the first half of the episode, the 2003 stuff, like, man, I felt like I was in that. That was that was really, really good stuff. Yeah, I, I've never played the video game. I've never heard of the video game. I just there was so much excitement around the show that I was like, I'll watch it. And this isn't really a spoiler. I mean, it's, a, it's very obvious at the early part of the show. Um, but I'm not into like zombie shit. Like that's not me. I never watched Walking Dead or any of those or, or zombie movies. Never any of that. And yet this episode was such good television. They got me. I'm watching the series. So, yeah, uh, it's like the it's like the only it's like the only big show out right now. Like it is every other yep. show is is either on a break or, or coming back, coming in up next, in like, Mar- or coming up in March yeah. or something like that. So The Last of Us is going to be like the only big prestige TV show, so to speak, on for a while. So I feel like we all kind of just get into it by default. I believe, but it's good. This good. rolls, if memory serves, I think this is going to roll into Succession. Like when this ends, I think Succession's mm. going to begin Makes potentially sense. or something like that. So definitely excited for it. But yeah, um, not my type of show usually, but really, really solid. And I do need to watch Yellow Jackets. Maybe I'll add that. Uh, to my now that season two is starting, I'll add it to my watch list and get and get through that. Going back to this and, and actually wrestling, which is the part of us doing the show. You know, look, if they want to do a short term storyline with McIntyre and Sheamus, um, you know, challenging the Usos for the SmackDown titles, losing, and then maybe they get into it with each other again. You know, you're talking about WrestleMania. What if they do instead of doing Gunther and Sheamus rematch? What if it's a triple threat with McIntyre? Gunther, Sheamus, McIntyre. Yeah, so like Sheamus and McIntyre are together now, but they realize, hey, look, we may have many, we may get along in many ways, but we still don't like each other when it comes down to it. They end up breaking up, having a mini feud. That leads to the triple threat with Gunther. 
And that's a yeah. triple threat title match for the IC title at WrestleMania. Possibly then Sheamus pins Gunther and, and wins. I think that's possible. I, I think, I think we'll spoiler. We'll probably both have Sheamus Gunther on our list uh, at the end of the show. Probably. <laughs> I have had trouble figuring out where, where Drew ends up. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm and also, that's it. I'm also really confused about, all of a sudden they're doing Raw and SmackDown tag team title matches separately. Yes. It really just and like if they had are they going to take that, are they going to take one are they going to take one of them off? I don't know. That's the question. It's like why would you at this point? Like you're so close right. to WrestleMania, we right. both probably have the same match on the card, no spoilers, you know, until later in the show that is prob- that we think is going to be at WrestleMania. If you're going to have that match, why would it not be for the undisputed titles? It just seems weird to go this far and then have Judgment Day win the Raw titles Monday night on Raw 30? Or my, my only other thought I don't know. is that it may, my only thought is maybe this is a way to have two different number one contender things going I on. I love that. Yes. You can explain the Judgment Day thing. You can explain what's going on on SmackDown and you just say they're for the other belts, but ultimately they don't lose either of them, so it doesn't matter. That's, that's what possible. I would that's what I would love if they're booking it that way to say, hey, you know, we're not just willy nilly deciding what brand they defend the titles on. We're literally determining determining new number one contenders here and there on each brand and then they for- forcing the Usos to defend the titles. That's great. What it also does is if the titles still are undisputed at WrestleMania and if they are one off the Usos, then it creates a like a, a, in kayfabe the fact that these can be defended individually and maybe the new champions do defend them individually and lose early. That happened to Becky Lynch. Mm-hmm. Don't forget. She, she yes. was winner take all at WrestleMania 35. She took the raw and SmackDown women's titles. She immediately lost one of those titles like the next month. So it kind of sets yes. the stage for them to do that going forward. Yep. Agree. All right. A couple more things. Then we'll get to our WrestleMania booking. Uh, the street profits fought Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Shelton hit a huge pump knee on Montez Ford, knocking him off the ring apron at the bell. Cedric caught him with running Uranagi on the apron. Then MVP walked down. Angelo Dawkins went on his run with Ford hitting the frog splash. Alexander broke the fall. Ford hit Benjamin with a tope con hero, only for Dawkins to leapfrog Alexander, who continued running and hit a tope suicida outside. It was a great spot. Dawkins went to splash Alexander in the corner when MVP was late to interfere in a minor botch that was part of the finish. The referee still took the distraction. Benjamin threw Dawkins into Alexander's pump knee. But as Cedric went for the fall, Angelo countered into a crucifix pin and got the win. MVP's screw-up really ruined the finish. But even beyond that, I was confused at the booking. Why have him get involved to give the Profits an excuse to take an L, yet have the Profits pull out the win anyway? The wrestling was fun, and it was nice to see the boys back on TV in more than a squash match. It was a really good match, but it left a lot to be desired. So I'm saying good for the effort, and clearly... They're restarting her business, or they're at least trying to. But I didn't love the team that won. The Profits are doing nothing right now. They had no reason to win the match. Agree. I was expecting, oh, Alexander or Benjamin get the win. We move forward, continue to move forward on the hurt business stuff. And then no. So I don't know. Maybe this is MVP saying you need me to win, come back. I, I don't know. I was surprised. Wrestling was fun. I'm on that. I'm on the mix between good, bad, just because the, the the finish. I guess I'll lean bad slightly, but it's okay. Not really. A, 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 it's not really a statement on the wrestlers. Well, I went good there. Not so much on the next segment. Elias backstage said his vengeance tour begins at the Royal Rumble. 
MVP bumped into him walking out of Pierce's office, saying Elias shouldn't waste his time in the Rumble because MVP just got the 2023 winner of the match into it. They kept talking shit. Elias wound up with a match thinking MVP was talking about himself when anyone with a brain knew MVP was not talking about himself. He meant Omas. <laughs> so Elias is in the ring. MVP comes out to his music before introducing Omas. MVP threatened with his cane, so Elias threatened with his guitar. Omas grabbed it, headbutted Elias, broke the guitar at ringside. Then he ate three jumping knees inside and picked Elias off the top rope for a choke bomb and the win. This was a total eye roll of a backstage segment, a total eye roll of a match, way too much MVP over the first hour of Raw, and I love MVP, and it was still way too much of him. Should have at least been a Royal Rumble qualifier if you're going to do the match at all. There was nothing redeeming about it. Bad. Yeah, bad. I mean, like seeing Omas again, I know he hadn't been gone very long, but just seeing him again was was fine. I still feel like every single Omas match needs to start off with a face-to-face just so you can get a good understanding before the match of how much bigger he is than his opponent because mm-hmm. that's the whole point of him. But uh, yeah, this is just whatever. They had a lot of different Hurt Business stuff going on. This was this was unimportant. This was a bad. Look, they're clearly rebuilding Hurt Business, okay? Probably Hurt Business 2.0 with all the original guys plus Omos. So you need to dedicate TV time to that. And it's very possible that if Roman Reigns and the Bloodline, if their storyline ends at WrestleMania, he's going to take some time off. They all, In fact, they all probably will take some time off. And that would allow Hurt Business to step back in as the dominant faction in WWE again. Now, if you're going to do that, you need to build them up. But they didn't accomplish that on the show. They gave us some teases, certainly, and that's fine. But, you know, Lashley initially got hurt by his appearance. These guys, Alexander, you know, earlier, sorry, Alexander and Benjamin lost. And this mm-hmm. just look, came across like shit. And Elias came across like an absolute idiot for thinking he was about to fight MVP, who still walks around with a cane and hasn't wrestled a match in a really long time. So there was just nothing redeeming about it. It was a waste of TV time. They didn't even need yeah, to do just, it. They needed momentum. Like you said, like, have us realize, oh, like, Sheldon and, and Cedric Alexander are looking pretty good here. Oh, Omas is back and winning matches. Oh, Bobby's hey. a number one contender. And then, boom, they come together when they're all at, like, the height of their power. Or, or they even all come and help Lashley win that six-pack challenge at the end of the show. By the way, mm-hmm. don't you think yeah. it would have been more impactful if MVP walked out with Omas in that main event segment without having seen Omas earlier in the show? And then you have commentary. That's even more reason. You mentioned it earlier for commentary to be like, holy shit, Omas is back. Are they coming down yeah. to take out Lashley? Agree. Yep, that would have worked too. Maybe the Hurt Business reunites next week to beat Theory, but that's not really the time to do it. Lashley, you need theory, you need you Omas. You, you need Omas. You need, Lashley, right, you don't need help Cedric. To win. <laughs> yeah, right. Five guys. That's to why be like, theory. Who, by the way, no. theory who's a heel and has no one in his corner. Yes, yes. That's <laughs> why you're right. Reuniting yeah. them this week to get him the number one contender spot, and then you realize, oh man, the full on purpose is coming for the belt next week. That is that that feels like it makes sense. So I I, I don't well, maybe they're holding it off for later. We'll see. They may be holding off them reuniting until the Royal Rumble, where they all team up in the ring and we think Lashley's going to win, then Lesnar comes out. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they can do it. I didn't need them to reunite this week. I just wanted the whole thing booked better. And it just really wasn't booked well. The Hurt Business 
kind of sections of the show, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, moving back to SmackDown, Tegan Knox fought Zaya Lee. Zaya tweaked her look with some cool braids and extensions. Knox dodged Lee's running roundhouse kick and hit the shiniest wizard for the win. She got a decent response after the bell, which was nice to hear. But look, they have to build Tegan. And that starts with matches like this. It wasn't anything special, but getting Knox wins on TV is good to me. WWE needs to build these newly introduced women up, though. As I said, Tegan, in addition to winning the match, should be doing a sit-down interview with Michael Cole, telling her story, or do it via vignettes, something. Right now, she just happens to be cool-looking women's wrestler number four. And she needs to be more than that. Just like Mia Yim. She's cool-looking women's wrestler number two. So, so why should we like them? Why should we care about them? And give us something to chew on from a storyline standpoint, in addition to the quality wrestling. But I was happy she got a match and a win. I was happy we got uh, Meechin and Io Sky on Raw. Steps in the right direction. We just need a more full step. It's a half step. It was fine. I agree that Tegan Knox, to me, without knowing her NXT background, just feels like created random wrestler number four. Meechin less so less much because they put her with the uh with the OC for a minute. They explained the nicknames. So, like they gave you could we can use some more, but there's like a little something there. There's been nothing there with Tegan Knox. Not her fault at all. I would really like to just get to know her more. Yeah. Uh Bronson Reed fought Akira Tozawa on Raw. Backstage Tozawa demanded from Pierce a chance to be in the rumble. So Pierce set this match saying, hey, this isn't a qualifier but it might go a long way to getting you in. Reed obviously dominated. He hit a great running like steamroll sent on. I've never seen someone do that before. Tozawa got a great hope spot with a roundhouse kick, a hurricanrana, and a tope suicida, but Reed caught him running off the apron midair and powerbombed him into the top of the barricade in such a violent manner that the crowd gasped. Then he had a running shoulder tackle off the apron, him being Reed, Bronson Reed, running shoulder tackle off the apron. And it finished with the crowd audibly gasping when he hit the tsunami off the top rope for the win. Chris, this was a textbook example of getting a new wrestler over. Reed could not have looked any better. His moveset was inventive and dominant. Tazawa bumped his ass off. And by the time Reed hit his final few moves that I just mentioned, the crowd was groaning and gasping, feeling Tazawa's pain and watching his inevitable demise play out in front of them. I wish we had a grade better than good because this was perfect. Let's not forget, Vince fired this guy for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, no, I agree. That's exactly how you make somebody look good and, and, and handle all that. And um, it helped that over the last few weeks, we'd gotten a little bit more Tazawa. So it didn't feel like random that Tazawa was out there. Like it all... It all pieced together extremely well. Uh, one gripe I had, and it's really not this match, just going back to something I said earlier, Tazawa looked better here than Ali did in his match against Sokoa. That's insane given this was supposed to be a showcase for Reed and the other match was supposed to get Ali and Sokoa both over. So if they just used booking like this, it would have been even more successful. So very odd the way they did those two matches. Before we get out of the good, the bad, and the ugly and move into our final segment, uh, they announced all the legends who will be at Raw 30 next week. The Undertaker leads that list. I believe, Chris, is this his first appearance on WWE TV since he gave his sign-off during Survivor Series? In the Thunderdome? Um, I'm not sure. It's a good question. 
Oh, he had he was in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other yeah. than that, and WrestleMania, this will be his first TV appearance, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, like, they've talked about the one-man shows and stuff like that, so... But we haven't know, seen him. He hasn't come out. Yeah, we haven't seen him, seen him. Right. So the other legends are Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, the Bella Twins, Jerry Lawler, X-Pac, uh, Ron Simmons, Teddy Long, Kurt Angle, and Road Dog. There's some names there. To me, there's only a couple notable surprises. So many of them are frequently on TV, those people we just mentioned. So for me, it's really Taker Flair, who's making his return to WWE after being fired by the organization. Uh, the Bellas, Simmons, obviously, is noteworthy. But it would have been nice to see. It's Raw 30, like Bret Hart or Kevin Nash, Trish Stratus, Mick Foley, Rob Van Dam, given it's in Philadelphia. Something a little bit more surprising than that list, you know? Yeah, it was a very small list. It was like eight to eight to ten people. And you've got like Ric Flair not even up front. It, it was, I was like. And like Jerry Lawler's oh. on the kickoff panel as it is. You know, we see we just saw Road Dogg and X-Pac on NXT recently. Yeah. You know, so I was like, yeah, so it was like, oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. So maybe there'll be more. Maybe we maybe they'll hit you with more. But The Undertaker is pretty big. So I, I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. Taker is huge. That is, And Ric Flair, despite all the issues we have with him, him coming back to WWE, you know, making that appearance after a long time away. That's probably notable as well. Chris, let's move away from the good, the bad, and the ugly and into our final segment of today's show, Booking the Damn Territory. I don't have a sound drop for it. Uh, For WrestleMania 39, we're still multiple months away, but the road to WrestleMania officially kicks off Saturday at the Royal Rumble, maybe technically the Monday after the Royal Rumble. Now, we know WrestleMania is going to be a two-day card. You and I, we discussed it before the show. We were charged with booking our top eight matches for WrestleMania. Now, I'm not exactly sure how we should probably break this down. If maybe each of us goes over our own cards individually, maybe that's the best way and we can discuss it on the back end. Uh, So yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, Chris, why don't you go ahead, break, I don't know if you designated it by day or anything like that. Why don't you break down the eight matches on your card? I'll interject between any of them if I think there's something interesting to talk about. And then you can do the same for me. I'll go last and I'll give my card at the end. All righty. I will start off by saying limiting this to eight was actually pretty tough, um, mm-hmm. which is maybe a credit to, to the roster. There were a number of guys where I was like, I don't really know exactly where they fit in here. Um, but we'll start at we'll start at the bottom and go up, not okay. bottom, but just li- less important to, to the most important non-title title, whatever. Starting off, Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, non-title match. But a, a, a one-on-one match we have always wanted, never quite gotten. Ronda has obviously lost the title. She's gone off. We don't really know where she is right now. If she'll come back to WWE or not, but I'm going to say Becky versus Ronda is one of them. Then we'll get the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley. Mm-hmm. Perhaps Rhea winning the Rumble uh, to, to get there, but that's another one we haven't really had before. Uh, kind of a women's dream match for the title. They've hinted at it. So that is two Charlotte versus Raquel Rodriguez for the SmackDown women's championship. Mm-hmm. Another just kind of two of the, 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 the physically most imposing women you have in the company. Raquel is kind of maybe turning heel now. And I guess Charlotte's a face. I feel like you could reverse that, but they probably won't. So that is three Sheamus versus Gunther for the intercontinental title. That one's pretty obvious. We've talked about that for uh, Sammy. 
Uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens versus the Usos for the Tag Team Championships. Another one that I think we'll probably both have, but I, I think that's an obvious one. That's a huge one. You could probably have that main event night one, depending on what the rest of your card looks like. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, that is five. Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. Non, um, I guess I didn't. Could have a title. Could not have a title. Not sure. But but you put the, you put them in there. That is six. After this, it was kind of hard to figure out where to place some people. Mm-hmm. I, I have Rody, Roman versus Cody for the for the main event. Cody wins a Royal Rumble, faces Roman. Day two. That. Yeah, day two main event as the big one to, to end the show. Another one I think a lot of us probably predict. And then the last one, I, I, I didn't really know where to put Seth. I didn't quite know where to put Bray Wyatt or Drew McIntyre. So I'm just going to have, um, just to throw some bodies in here, Judgment Day versus the Brawling Brutes versus um, the Hurt Brawling Brutes, you have Sheamus against uh, Gunther. No, Brutes as in uh, Ridge and oh, okay. Pete Dunne. Yeah, them, them versus maybe Finn and uh, Damien versus... Cedric and Shelton, maybe perhaps. So that that's just kind of a throwaway one, but okay. um, throw that on there with my eighth one. All right. So I cheated a little bit in breaking this down. So, well, you know, before I actually get to mine, yours is solid. I think you, um, there's a couple people that you left out, right? I think Bray yes. Wyatt, Seth Rollins I, are probably the most notable. Um, I Austin almost put Fury. them together, but I was like, I was like, I can't put them together. It's only bad memories when I put the two of them. Well, together. that's that interesting that you I say did. that. It's interesting <laughs> that you say that. Okay. Um, cause I have kind of something to talk about to that regard, but I, I would say Austin theory with the U S title, if he is the champion, of course it could be Lashley. You mentioned, uh, you also didn't necessarily mention a John Cena or a Logan Paul or anyone like that. So those are correct. Where yeah, I see, that, that could happen too. Yes. So those are where I see a little bit, you know, p- possibly gaps in your booking, but I think it's a solid card what you put together and, uh, very reasonable. Now I cheated a little bit because eight matches was my rule <laughs> that I put out there. Um, yes. but the way I'm booking the damn territory, it requires basically two double matches, two people wrestling twice. And I've already kind of alluded to this a little bit on the show. So that's kind of why I had to do it that way. So it's really still only eight storylines, but it's technically 10 matches. So I'm going to do the undercard first, and then we'll get to the main event. And I want to have a larger discussion about that, and then we'll kind of kick things off or end the show. So I'm with you, Intercontinental Championship, Gunther versus Sheamus. Where I upped the ante a little bit is I made it a 30-minute Ironman match. So we know these guys are going to beat the shit out of each other. We can have multiple falls. I also think when you do an Ironman match, it creates a situation where if Sheamus beats Gunther, it's not like one single definitive thing. It's he comes out on top after a huge beatdown brawl. And that kind of lessens the impact on Gunther losing the title. So that's one match. Uh, The second match I have is Bray Wyatt versus Drew McIntyre. And... It's mostly because there's nothing else to do with either of them. But let's not forget, they were both around the title picture at the same time uh, during the Thunderdome era. Obviously, Roman Reigns eventually won it and things kind of shifted from there. But they were two of the bigger names going on at that time. And with Wyatt being able to go back and forth between all these different modes, 
I think it's interesting that he could be a heel potentially for WrestleMania. Matchup with Drew, it's a big match for both of them. And Drew could potentially get a really big win over Bray Wyatt. If not Drew, though, Seth Rollins versus Bray Wyatt. And I know what you just said is very true, Chris. It's like, why would you remind people of that? That's exactly why, though. Because you want to get that, get you know, put that in the past, have Rollins really overcome his demon. The one thing that's really been holding him back, guy has not been a world champion since then. If he is able to overcome Bray Wyatt, you obviously have the Shield and Wyatt family history there. That could be something extremely interesting. I think what neither of us mentioned is possibly Bray Wyatt versus Uncle Howdy. We don't know how that storyline is going to go, but I think those are just interesting dynamics that you could do involving Bray Wyatt. But getting back to the actual matches that I have booked here. United States Championship, Austin Theory against either John Cena or Logan Paul. Cena if he's available, Logan Paul if he's not. And if it's Logan Paul, you have him walk out as the new United States Champion beating Austin Theory. That would be super interesting. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. We don't need to go over that again. You already did. We've talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast. Also, Undisputed Championship, Usos. uh, Sorry, Undisputed Tag Team Championship. The Usos against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. It seems like this is the obvious booking that it actually has to happen. But Chris, I would go a step further. I would put it inside Hell in a Cell to avoid involvement from Solo Sokoa or anyone else who could potentially get involved. And then... My other remaining match before I get to the actual main events that we're talking about, Charlotte Flair defending the United States Championship against Becky Lynch, tables, ladders, and chairs. First of all, they work extremely well together with the TLC stipulation. We've seen it. And it pays off all the backstage Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, the feuding, the craziness that's gone on between them. They don't seem to be friends anymore, but holy shit, the promos that they would be able to cut, if they could put personal behind and focus on in-ring and use some of that fire from the personal, maybe it could even rekindle their relationship in reality as well. So that's my entire undercard. Those are the eight, the, um, the six matches really. One, two, three, four. Yeah, six, I guess, seven, maybe. No, six. The six matches that I've booked. And then I'm gonna get to the main event right now. But before I do that, any thoughts on those? Yeah, you know, I, I had considered Bray versus Drew. I had, I, but Bray is so hard to figure out who to pair him up with for any mm-hmm. match or any feud right now. So that's kind of hard. Hell in a Cell. I like the idea. It 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 has been done, but it's kind of difficult to pull off in a stadium as well. Um, I think Becky, you have to open the show with it, if memory serves, because yeah, they need maybe. to pull apart the cell and bring it backstage, and they can't just lift it into the air. Yeah. Becky versus Charlotte. Um, makes sense. I, I thought about it, but I just kept thinking Becky Ronda is something we never got. This may be the last chance to do it. Uh, but yeah, other than those, those, those all make sense. Pretty similar on a lot of that. Very similar, yeah. So let's go ahead and get to the main event. And like I said, this is actually four matches. So this is how I kind of cheated, but it's just the booking that I wanted to do it. Look, if I have the pen and I'm booking the damn territory, then I'm booking it the way I want to book it, right? Um, So the first match, so these are day one matches, the first two I'm going to mention. Roman Reigns versus The Rock, okay? Uh, The Rock versus Hulk Hogan, just going back, it was not the main event of WrestleMania X8. And what I have seen people say is if you have Roman Reigns, The Rock, it has to main event night two. 
bullshit. I've never believed that from the very beginning. Uh, it's a major match. And if the title is on the line or whether it's it, perhaps it's not on the line, it does not need to main event the second night. What needs to main event the second night is Roman Reigns defending the title. It does not necessarily have to be against The Rock. And the reason why you don't put this as the main event match in the second night is because you know the result. Just like The Rock was always going to beat Hulk Hogan, if this match happens, Roman Reigns is going to beat The Rock. That's just how it needs to go. One of them is still in the company and one is not. So you do it as the main event of night one. The co-main event of night one is Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins for the number one contendership for the Undisputed Championship. And how do you get there? Cody Rhodes wins the Royal Rumble and Seth Rollins wins Elimination Chamber. The other way to do it potentially is to have Cody win the Royal Rumble. Rollins has some gripe. Maybe they're the final two and there's some gripe about how that transpires. He gets himself into the match. He weasels his way into it another way. There's numerous ways you can do it. You could also say, well, since Reigns is fighting The Rock, Paul Heyman should say to um, Adam Pearce, well, isn't it only fair that his challenger has a match as well? It's another way you can do it. So you have Roman Reigns and The Rock, Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, both on night one of WrestleMania. And then on night two, you have the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes or Seth Rollins. Another option is Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins. And you would do that if you don't get The Rock. Now, before you answer and break it down, there's a basis for me doing this booking. It's nearly identical with Cody to the Triple H return storyline in 2002 I mentioned earlier. He was injured and out until the Rumble. He returned on the go-home Raw, he won the Rumble, and then he won the title at WrestleMania. Now, I'm throwing a wrench in it with the number one contendership situation. You use that if you get The Rock, so that both people in Sunday's main event had to fight two matches. It's fair, and Reigns Rock is not the lone major match on the show. And I already explained all the ways that it can be broken down. If The Rock is not involved, a secondary booking option would be to run this as a triple threat at WrestleMania. Cody wins the Rumble, Seth wins Chamber. We talked about it. Two challengers for two titles, similar to what we got at WrestleMania 35. And then Cody beats Seth to win the Undisputed Championship. Now, if that happens, I would absolutely criticize it to all hell. Reigns dropping the titles without being pinned would be a massive eye roll. But you could just book it like 35 and have Cody pin Reigns. It just happens in a triple threat setting. Perhaps Reigns takes a stomp and a pedigree, and then he takes the crossroads. Like He takes so many finishers where it's just like Reigns is going to get pinned and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what I thought was going to happen two years ago with Daniel Bryan and Edge in the exact same spot. I just mm -hmm. don't think it should be as simple as Cody winning the Rumble and facing Reigns one-on-one -on -one without there being another element. And to me, those elements are the rock match with a number one contendership on night one or a triple threat. Rollins keeps mentioning WrestleMania. He keeps saying Reigns' name, unless they're going to do that match at Elimination Chamber, which is certainly possible. I see no way that Rollins is ultimately left out of this in one way or another. So if I had the pen, if I was booking the damn territory, that is what I would do for the main event of WrestleMania. 
I like this better than your original plan, which was uh, Rome, Roman having two matches over the weekend while Cody only has one. That, to me, just never worked. Mm-hmm. This way, where, where you say, hey, they both have two matches, that makes sense. That's more even. I, I, can, I can accept Cody beating Roman when they're at equal strength on the second night. The one thing I'll say is, though, while there are two nights... They have been very firm at keeping those at about four hours or less, you know, mm-hmm. so so there aren't unlimited slots here on the card. And if you're going to devote two of those each night to 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 Cody or two of them, Cody yeah, I was Roman, wrong. I, I was wrong. It would be two on night one and, and one on night two. That was one on night two. Yeah. So yeah. It, it would be that that that's um that works too. That, that works too. Ultimately, I think. The Sammy, the Sammy KO part of this is such a big part of the Bloodline storyline that mm-hmm. it feels like that tag team match that we both booked really would fit as a night one main event. Um, if it happens, then like that, that is that is what if one instead story, and then the other what one if, is Roman dropping the title. What if instead that opens night two? So they the Usos lose the undisputed tag team titles to open night two, mm-hmm. and Reigns loses the undisputed WWE Universal Championship to conclude night two. So it could, all happens could happen on as well. Could happen as well. The other thing is, and this goes back to the the, the Cody torn Peck match. Seth Rollins has no reason to be anywhere <laughs> near Cody Rhodes. I know Cody Rhodes beat him three times, once <laughs> with a torn Peck, and it kind of makes. I thought this at the time, and I kind of go back to it. It felt like Cody should have lost that match. As right. it, 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 it depends. Do you want the moment or do you want the story? As a moment, it's iconic. He fought through the torn peck, won the match. Incredible. It stands on its own. The story part of it is, what if he loses that match? That makes his comeback mean a lot more. I The, the injury knocked me out. I lost to Seth. He comes back from the injury and then he immediately has a reason to fight Seth. He has no right. reason to fight Seth right now. Now, you can do Royal Rumble shenanigans. You can do some other things. I get it. They have great chemistry. He's Seth Rollins. Like, you know, he he can deserve a, another shot. Hey, what if but what if it's a swerve? To, to get to your point, what if it's a swerve? Rollins eliminates Cody and Rollins wins the Royal Rumble. And Cody's the one who fights his way back in. He goes to Adam Pierce. He's like, look, I beat this guy three times. It is absurd that he's getting a match. I don't care that he won the Royal Rumble. It's absurd that he's getting a match for the title at WrestleMania. Put me in Elimination Chamber. If I win, put me in the match. Yeah, that could work as well. It just feels like it, it or has to Or let me fight end. him on night one and, and win my way into the match. One of those two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the story they've told is Cody Rhodes wins the title. It hasn't been Cody Rhodes Roman. It hasn't been Cody Rhodes Bloodline. They still need to build all of that, which is why I think you do need some time. And the idea that coming out of the rumble, you know, we still have to resolve Cody Rollins. You need time to develop animosity between Cody and Roman in the bloodline and get him involved in that stuff. Get him involved with Sammy and KO potentially as well. If that is your plan to have him dethrone Roman Reigns. So that is the part I think they still really need to build in that story. And they have time to do it. I mean, it's, it's, going to be two months of a build right that, that's the problem like you know it's royal rumble's end of january wrestlemania is beginning of april so mm-hmm. you have like eight maybe it's nine weeks 
to build a Cody Rhodes Roman Reigns storyline. And it, you're right, it kind of doesn't feel like there's enough time to, to like get that done. Hey, maybe it's Sami Zayn. Maybe Sami's in the Royal Rumble and he's there. He enters, he's meant to prevent certain people from winning. He ends up winning it himself. That leads to this destruction yeah. of Bloodline and we don't get the tag team match with Kevin Owens and it's Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn at WrestleMania. I mean, that's the, if you want to talk about the ultimate pop, the biggest moment that WWE could give it's really not Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes. It's Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. Yep. And, and, and I just don't know that that character, they, they would have winning the title, being the guy to beat Roman. Yeah. You know, like, you know, you know, Vince isn't in charge this time, right? Like, it, it is kind of wild to think of back to that original WrestleMania 30, Randy Orton versus Dave Batista storyline. And like, what was the story? I don't even remember. Like, who... Well, Who it was them being in evolution together and so on. Yeah, I mean, but like, like if nothing. you didn't, if you didn't put Daniel Bryan in that story, like the main event would have been nothing. Yeah, it's just it's just wild to think back to that. So that's where we are. So that was Adam and Chris booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39. We wanted to do it before the Royal Rumble just to give you our perspective without knowing the Royal Rumble winner or anything else that is going to transpire on that show. But Chris, we're going to have a loaded week of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast next week because one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel, we will have the WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview episode. And then Saturday night, as soon as the Royal Rumble goes off the air, we will have WWE Royal Rumble instant analysis with the road to WrestleMania officially beginning. This is when things amp up and Look, we don't know about the creative situation in WWE, but as of right now, it is still Triple H with the book. And as long as Triple H has that book, the Silver King is going to be even more excited than he has been the last few years for WrestleMania season. I am the game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. And it is fair to say with Raw 30 coming next week, it is going to be a loaded show for us because we're going to have to review Raw 30 as we provide the ultimate preview for the Royal Rumble. This was an awesome show, Chris. Thanks once again for joining. Reminders on the way out. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, anything you could possibly want on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I should also note this past week, we did a live breaking news instant reaction show on Twitter spaces. We weren't set up to do it for the podcast. We got rave reviews for it from all of you. Thank you so much for that. It was great doing just a really special show with Stephanie McMahon resigning from WWE. We popped on to have that conversation. Uh, we got a ton of listeners, some new followers. So if you don't follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, you may be missing some of those breaking news shows. We're still going to do the Instant Reaction podcast for major news. But if it's a little bit lesser than that, it doesn't require a special podcast episode, we're going to be doing those on Twitter Spaces because that got as good of a reaction as any show that we've done to this point on Twitter Spaces. Also, do not forget that the show you're listening to right now, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It's so leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. On Spotify, you can also leave a five-star rating. They help us so much, and that is why we request that you do them to 
twice an episode. Thank you all for listening. For Vintage Chris Manini, this is Silverstein Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.